Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 15 of Baseball Joe of the Silver Stars by Lester Chadwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Donald Cummings. Chapter 15. Joe Overhears Something. Are you the boys who threw the baseball through my kitchen window into my kettle of applesauce? Demanded Mrs. Peterkin as she confronted the two culprits. I threw it, admitted Joe. But we didn't know it went into the applesauce, added Tom. Nor through the window, spoke Joe, for want of something better to say. It was a wild throw. Humph, exclaimed the irate lady. I don't know what kind of a throw it was, but I know I was wild when I saw my kitchen. I never saw such a sight in all my born days. Never. You come and look at it. If, if you please, I'd rather not, said Joe quickly. I'll pay you whatever damages you say, but I, I... I just want you to see that kitchen, insisted Mrs. Peterkin. It's surprising how mischievous boys can be when they try. But we didn't try, put in Tom. This was an accident. Come and see my kitchen, repeated Mrs. Peterkin firmly, and she seemed capable of taking them each by an ear and leading them in. You, you'd better go, advised Mr. Peterkin gently. So they went and truly the sight that met their eyes showed them that Mrs. Peterkin had some excuse for being angry. On the stove there had been cooking a large kettle of sauce made from early apples. The window near the stove had been left open, and through the casement the ball, thrown with all Joe's strength, had flown, landing fairly into the middle of the soft sauce. The result may easily be imagined. It splattered all over the floor, halfway up on the side walls, and there were even spots of the sauce on the ceiling. The top of the stove was covered with it, and as the lids were hot, they had burned the sugar to charcoal, while the kitchen was filled with smoke and fumes. There, cried Mrs. Peterkin, as she waved her hand at the scene of ruin, did you ever see such a kitchen as that? And it was clean scrubbed only this morning. Did you ever see anything like that? Tell me. Joe and Tom were both forced to murmur, that they had never beheld such a sight before, and they added with equal but unexpressed truth that they hoped they never would again. I'm willing to pay for the damage, said Joe once more, and his hand went toward his pocket. It was an accident. Maybe it was, sniffed Mrs. Peterkin. I won't say that it wasn't, but that won't clean my kitchen. Joe caught at these words. I'm willing to help you clean up, he exclaimed eagerly. I often help at home when my mother is sick. Let me do it, and I'll pay for the applesauce I spoiled. I'll help, put in Tom eagerly. Who's your mother? asked Mrs. Peterkin, looking at Joe. Mrs. Matson, he replied. 
Oh, you're the new family that moved into town, and there was something of a change in the irate lady's manner. Yes, we live in the big yellow house near... It's right back of our place, Mrs. Peterkin, put in Tom eagerly. Hmm, I've been intending to call on your mother, went on Mrs. Peterkin, ignoring Tom. I always call on all the new arrivals in town, but I've been so busy with my housework and spring cleaning. She paused and gazed about the kitchen. That, at least, would need cleaning over again. Yes, she resumed, I always call and invite them to join our sewing and Dorcas societies. My mother belonged to both, exclaimed Joe eagerly. That is, in Bentville, where we lived. I heard her saying she wondered if there was a society here. There is, answered Mrs. Peterkin majestically, and I think I shall call soon, and ask her to join. You may tell her I said so, she added as if it was a great honor. I will, answered Joe, and now, if you'll tell me where I can get some old cloths, I'll help clean up this muss. Oh, I don't know, said Mrs. Peterkin slowly. Clearly her manner had undergone a great change. I suppose boys must have their fun, she said with something like a sigh. I know you didn't mean to do it, but my applesauce is spoiled. I'll pay for it, offered Joe eagerly. He was beginning to see a rift in the treble clouds. No, said Mrs. Peterkin. It's all right. I have plenty more apples. Then let us help clean the place, asked Tom. No, indeed, she exclaimed, with as near a laugh as she ever indulged. I don't want any men-folk traipsing around my kitchen. I'll clean it myself. Well, let us black the stove for you, offered Tom. That's it, Elvira, put in Mr. Peterkin quickly. He rather sided with the boys, and he was glad that the mention of Joe's mother, and the possibility of Mrs. Peterkin getting a new member for the societies, of both of which she was president, had taken her mind off her desire for revenge. Let the boys black the stove. You know you always hate that work. Well, I suppose they could do that, she admitted somewhat reluctantly. But don't splatter it all over, though the land knows this kitchen can't be worse. Behold, then, a little later, two of the members of the Silver Star Nine industriously cleaning hardened applesauce off the Peterkin kitchen stove and blackening it until it shone brightly. I'm glad Sam Morton can't see us, spoke Tom in a whisper. Yes. We'd never hear the last of it, agreed Joe. They finished the work, and even Mrs. Peterkin, careful housekeeper that she was, admitted that the stove looked fairly good. And be sure and tell your mother that I'm coming to call on her, she added, as Joe and Tom were about to leave. Yes, ma'am, answered the center fielder, and then he paused on the threshold of the kitchen. Have you forgotten something? asked Mrs. Peterkin, who was preparing to give the place a thorough scrubbing. We er that is stammered Joe. It's the baseball, I guess, put in Mr. Peterkin. It is in the kettle of apple sass, Elvira. Oh yes, so it is, she agreed, and this time she really laughed. Well, you may have it, she added. I don't want it. With a dipper she fished it up from the bottom of the kettle, put it under the water faucet to clean it, and held it out to Joe. Thanks, he said, as he took it and hurried off with Tom before anything more could be said. "'Phew!' exclaimed Tom, when they were out in the lots again. That was a hot time while it lasted. And we got out of it mighty lucky, thanks to your mother. Mrs. Peterkin is great on the society business, and I guess she thought if she gave it to us too hot, your mother wouldn't call on her. Yes, we were lucky, all right. Want to practice some more?' "'Not today,' replied Joe with a smile. "'I've had enough.' 
Besides, this ball is all wet and slippery. Anyhow, there's lots more time, and I guess the next day we do it we'll go down to the fairgrounds. Yes, there's more room there, and no kettles of applesauce, agreed Tom with a laugh. As Tom had an errand to do downtown for his father, he did not accompany Joe back to their respective homes. I'll see you tonight, he called to his chum as they parted, and we'll arrange for some more practice. I think it's doing you good. I know my arm is a bit sore, complained Joe. Then you want to take good care of it, said Tom quickly. All the authorities in the book say that a pitching arm is too valuable to let anything get the matter with it. Bathe it with witch hazel tonight. I will. So long. As Joe had not many lessons to prepare that night, and as it was still rather early, and he did not want to go home, he decided to take a little walk out in the country for a short distance. As he trudged along, he was thinking of many things, but chief of all was his chances of becoming at least a substitute pitcher on the Silver Stars. If I could get in the box and was sure of going to boarding school, I wouldn't ask for anything else in this world, said Joe to himself. Like all boys, he had his ambitions, and he little realized how such ambitions would change as he became older. But they were sufficient for him now. Before he knew it, he had covered several miles, for the day was a fine spring one, just right for walking, and his thoughts, being subject to quick changes, his feet kept pace with them. As he made a turn in the road, he saw, just ahead of him, an old building that had once, so some of the boys had told him, been used as a spring-house for cooling the butter and milk of the farm to which it belonged. But it had now fallen into disuse, though the spring was there yet. The main part of it was covered by the shed, but the water ran out into a hollowed-out tree-trunk where a coconut shell hung as a dipper. "'Guess I'll have a drink,' mused Joe. I'm as dry as a fish, and that's fine water. He had once taken some when he and Tom Davis took a country stroll. As he was sipping the cool beverage, he heard inside the old shed the murmur of voices. Hmm, tramps, I guess, reasoned Joe to himself. But a moment later he knew it could not be tramps, for the words he heard were these. And do you think you can get control of the patents? I'm sure of it, was the answer. He doesn't know about the reverting clause in his contract, and he's working on a big improvement in a corn. Then the voice died away, though Joe strained his ears in vain to catch the other words. Somehow he felt vaguely uneasy. Where have I heard that first voice before? he murmured, racking his brains. Then, like a flash, it came to him. The quick, incisive tones were those of Mr. Rufus Holdney, of Moorville, to whom he had once gone with a letter from Mr. Matson. And if you get the patents, went on Mr. Holdney, then it means a large sum of money. For both of us, came the eager answer, and Joe wondered whom the other man could be. You are sure there won't be any slip-up? asked Mr. Holdney. Positively. But come on, we've been here long enough, and people might talk if they see us here together. Yet I wanted to have a talk with you in a quiet place, and this was the best one I could think of. I own this old farm. Very well. Then I'll be getting back to Moorville. Be sure to keep me informed how the thing goes. I will. There was a movement inside the shed, as if the men were coming out. I'd better make myself scarce, thought Joe. He had just time to drop down behind a screen of bushes when the two men did emerge. Joe had no need to look to tell who one was, but he was curious in regard to the other. Cautiously he peered up, and his heart almost stopped beating as he recognized Mr. Isaac Benjamin, 
the manager of the Royal Harvester Works, where the boy's father was employed. "'There's some crooked work on hand, I'll bet a cookie,' murmured Joe, as he crouched down again, while the two men walked off up the country road. End of chapter 15 Recording by Donald Cummings, Monroe, Connecticut